the Painter's Dialectic Podcast. I am your host, Josh Green, a painter and art educator living in New York City. And today we're going to talk about art and mental health with stand-up comedian Dave Chawner. So today I'm joined by a number one best-selling author, award-winning stand-up comedian and presenter, and mental health campaigner, Dave Chawner. Dave and I discuss art and mental health. Dave discusses what anorexia is, how he overcame his anorexia, and how he is crafting his life experiences to serve others who are suffering from poor mental health. Dave has created an innovative approach to improving mental health through his course at Comedy for Coping. It is a new, exciting initiative that uses the creative arts to build, maintain, and sustain good mental health. If you want to learn more about it, go to ComedyForCoping.com. Also check out Dave's book, Weight Expectations, One Man's Recovery from Anorexia. And also, of course, check out his stand-up comedy. He's performed on BBC and many other prestigious venues. And don't just listen to the podcast, participate in it. Live, subscribe, and share our content. You can go to our Patreon page, The Painter's Dialectic, and subscribe. We have different tiers with behind-the-scenes content of how we develop these ideas. If you'd like to stay with me, go to my school, greenatelier.art, and sign up for lessons. To see my art, go to joshgreenart.com, and you can also check out our Instagram page, The Painter's Dialectic. This support will help us continue making this meaningful content. mate how you doing hey dave it's great to have you thank you so much thank you thank you very much how how are you i'm doing great um i'm really excited to talk to you today i'm really happy dylan connected us i feel like i have a ton to learn from you um (laughs) disappointed you know what i mean that's uh that's all i'll say (laughs) well First, I want to say that that you're not alone. I've um, I didn't suffer from anorexia, but I I have suffered from uh, severe mental illness. You know, I try to help people out as much I can, mm. but you're doing that very successfully. And I thought um, today, you know, this this podcast is mainly for visual artists, but you know, I consider what you're doing, you know, you're a critically creative person. And that's what this podcast is ultimately about is being critically creative. So I'd love to ask you, or just I'd love to ask you three questions. One, what is anorexia? Two, how did you overcome uh, these delusions and fears? And three, what I'm really interested in is how do you then help others through your craft through your art, which it looks like you're very successfully doing you are too kind mate um well i think to answer those are big questions yeah uh, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of breaking down the first thing that i always say is i am not a healthcare or trained professional i'm just a professional idiot so as <laughs> i understand anorexia 
And strangely, eating disorders in general is actually, they're very little to do weirdly with food, I think. From my experience or what other people have said, it's, it's in the same way that substance abuse or, you know, drink or drugs are very, aren't actually to do with that person really liking whiskey or rum. That's the outlet. That's the escape. And for me, the not eating led to a bit of a kind of mind vacuum. Because when you don't feed your body, you don't feed your brain. And that helped numb anxiety that helped distract me from things that I didn't want to think about, distracted me from things that I didn't want to feel. And having heard from people who have, for example, binge eating in that moment where they are binging, it is a distraction. You can't focus on anything else. So it seems very similar. So I would actually say that eating disorders or anorexia is a a distraction from life and it's a a mal a maladaptive coping mechanism and what i mean by that is something that people get really really uncomfortable talking about and i don't want to glorify or promote or encourage eating disorders in any way shape or form but in the short term and I think that's the really important bit. In the short term, there can be a short-term enjoyment from it, but there is a much longer-term detriment. So when you're talking about uh, a distraction from life, I wonder if there's also like a, a pursuit of perfection behind this? I, I, I think especially restrictive eating disorders and anorexia seems to be very perfectionist you're absolutely right and in a weird way again not to be triggering but i just find it odd that more people don't have eating disorders because when you think about it in life it's very hard to be a success or a failure some days you're up other days you're down you know you could be the top of your class but then you go to university and you could be the bottom of that group or you know you could be the top of the Premier League and then go to the Championship, be the bottom. That is, you're constantly competing against other people and it's hard to sort of fit into that. Whereas with anorexia, it dealt in numbers, it dealt in weights, in calories and in amounts exercised. And that was something that was tangible. It was something that I could actually focus on. When I couldn't focus on when I was a teenager, if that exam question came up or if that university accepted me or if I got that Saturday job that I really wanted. But I could focus on how many calories I had, on how many steps I took a day. And and I think that was the short-term, one of them, short-term allures of it. Mm. So it sounds like to me it gave you a sense of control over a lot of things that were outside of your control. I, I think that's a really, and I always avoid using that word just okay. purely because okay. I am an asshole and I'm very stubborn. And I remember for a long time, my mom saying, oh, you know, this is all about control, etc." And I used to disagree with that for years. But I, I think you're right. I think that in a sort of nub of it, 
is the truth. Um, but the problem that I had, I think, with that was I didn't realise how different control can manifest for different people and how it could come mm-hmm. up. So I didn't realise at the time, it sounds very clean cut in hindsight, that I knew why I was doing it. But at the time, it was just a jumbled knot of emotions, of anxieties, etc. But yeah, with hindsight and with that time to dissect things, and yeah, you, you're right. I think a huge part of it was control. So I think right there you led into the second question. Um, yeah, when when you're in it, it's 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 so confusing. Um, you're so lost and in a lot of pain. How did you manage uh, to? understand those delusions and fears and 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 work your way out of that i know that's a very hard question but um i'd love to hear what you think i mean it it is a it's a brilliant question though because i think that the short answer is i worked out of it accidentally which i think is quite <laughs> funny in itself because i my the sort of duration of the anorexia was it took me years to even realize that i had an eating disorder i thought i was on top of it and then after a while i realized it was on top of me and then i never really did anything about it because i was like well you know what i'm not as severe as other people and all that happened was the goalpost kept changing when i started doing x y and z then i'll get help and then i started doing that and i was like yeah but it's not as bad as i thought and it kept on it was like chasing the rainbow and eventually i knew that anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness oh man one person dies every 62 minutes for it and i was very i was very aware that without being too triggering like it was a passive suicide attempt and i started writing the letters and i started thinking about videos and stuff that i was going to record for you know when this journey had sort of taken its full conclusion however i played the system and stayed out of being an inpatient but the one thing that i hadn't seen coming was um the depression and i was self-medicating with alcohol i was constantly aggressive i was when i was working i wanted to be socializing when i was socializing i wanted to be working or vice versa and eventually i went to the doctors and said look i I think there's something wrong with my mood and i got referred on to lambeth talking therapies and one of the best pieces of advice anyone ever gave me was a nurse spoke to me on the phone and was really exacerbated understandably and said look bottom line you wouldn't expect your laptop to work if you don't charge it why are you expecting your brain to work when you're not feeding it and i think the actual tangible real world analogies like that have Mm. always been so useful to me so i had two and a half years of psychotherapy which is sort of talking therapies at the Maudsley hospital in south london which is like i always joke it's like i say it's the hogwarts of eating disorders because it's like the best place in the world to go it's the best eating disorder unit and i was treated by some of the best people and what i found there was a lot of the things that were underpinning it but one thing that i would say that i think would be helpful in order to try and make sense of your or anyone else's mental health is 
again, using that idea of analogies, I would say that I've had people come up to me that are increasingly hesitant about mental health and sort of say things like, you know, I got sad when I was a kid, but back in my day, we'd just call it sadness. Now everything is depression and blah, blah, blah. And I actually think that's a, a valid point to counter because it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the difference between emotions and mental health. And an analogy that's been really useful for me to understand it is the difference between emotions and mental health is a bit like the difference between the weather and the climate. So your emotions are a lot like the weather. They'll change two, three, four, five times a day and up to a point that's normal. However, your mental health is your mental climate. So if it you know, it should be generally sunny, cloudy, obviously the odd rainy day. Yeah, that helps things to grow. But if it's always cold, if it's always dark and damp and arid, then that's not an environment that anything can grow in. And I think that's why the discussion around mental health is quite difficult, because it necessarily needs you to zoom out of your day to day life and think, how am I actually doing? And a lot of the time that can only really be achieved in hindsight. You know, one thing that you said earlier that I really related to is like, um, sometimes you're the last one to know that you have the problem, which is kind of funny. But uh, another thing is, um, I think it takes a really high level of observation. You have to become sort of a scientist you have to be very logical and you have to watch patterns. And like you said, there's a lot of culturally inherited beliefs that block your progress about mental health, how you're raised to think about mental health or what your culture thinks of it um, that aren't very useful. And it takes a lot of observation and skepticism and, and experimentation to, to weed through all that. But, um, you know, you're I, someone who... Yeah. I think that's such a good point, though. I think that that is one of the many reasons that people are the last to know, because most of us, most days of our lives don't have time to sit around and philosophize or meditate on every last word and dissect our lives like that. Actually, you're running for the bus or you're trying to get to work or you're planning that stag do or whatever it is, whereas other people have that um, ability of hindsight they have that distance it's like it's like trying to make sense of a painting when you're literally an inch away from it you can't see and when you step back that's when the pieces fit in which is why i think that it is really important to sort of perhaps listen to other people's thoughts on how you are because it does take time to realize i always say you know if you had if you started to have a problem with your vision, say you became short or long-sighted, you don't wake up one Tuesday and realise. It's actually you go out for a meal and you realise you can't read the menu or you're at a train station mm. and someone kind of goes like, can you read that? And you're like, I can't read that. Can you read that number? And it takes a long time to realise. Um, and I think that's why actually most people are the last to know because most people are just getting on with their lives. Another thing that you just pointed out, too, is um, usually there is a, a rock bottom or, or rocks on the way to rock bottom. Usually you get hit with an emotion 
that that sort of drowns out the the ego and and everything it may give you some distance like seeing for a glimpse of a moment like the state you're actually in or how this state has impacted the people you care about around you right and um that those emotions can give you a break from the daily noise of your mind to to get a get a bigger picture i don't know do you agree with that i i i completely agree it's like and i think someone was telling me the other day that i said uh 80% of your results come from 20% of your uh work or that there's something like that and i kind of think it's almost the same with emotions that actually a lot of the time it's only you know that one bubble moment at a coffee with a friend that makes you stop and think and you can be thinking and talking about that one little five minute moment for years to come so you're absolutely right i think there are almost a lot of the time little little like chapter tabs almost of like oh yeah that's when things changed or that's when i realized x y and z and then once you've realized those things uh did you find that you went through a process of of separating from uh certain communities or separating from certain information or uh tv shows or anything that that maybe allowed you to to act in a certain way yeah it's a really interesting way of phrasing it because i kind of separated from the anorexia which was genuinely like a breakup because it was <laughs> it was like an abusive because you always kind of again like with the the sort of competitive nature of it you'd hop on the scales and you know once a week you would see the number drop and that would give you a sort of dopamine hit and but mm. the problem was once a week would then become once a month and then once a month would become once every six weeks and mm. and on and on and on and you always kind of remember the good times you never really focused on the bad and genuinely going through therapy there there were times when it was it would like you know i was like i miss it so much <laughs> really funny like you just gotta it's such an odd thing is something that never even existed in the world but yeah it that it, the actual going through therapy was genuinely like a, a a breakup which in a weird and on the positive side of that was a fantastic excuse to do all of those things that you would in a breakup like try new things go new places experiment fail um so yeah i think it was more of a, an actual separation with the the anorexia itself rather than any particular people or media or anything that i was watching or doing it's the actual eating disorder itself that i was breaking up with yeah i i completely relate to that i that's so i'm i'm a recovering alcoholic and uh, for me, I could not imagine life or any moment of the day without it, you know, like yeah. what, it, how could you be happy? How could you do anything fun without this? So. I, I really <laughs> feel for you there because that's, that's a real culturally ingrained thing, you know, yeah. and it's, yeah, I, I completely get that. Are there times that you find quite difficult in the year for things like that? I'm I've been sober for for years now but yeah there definitely was it definitely was especially what really got me when is when I saw people like out in a beautiful park relaxing and drinking alcohol like just seeing how happy they were 
I wanted that peace so bad, and I associated that with with the alcohol. I don't yeah. know. So... <laughs> I, I completely... I think it's a bit different for eating. So I completely get that. And I think the weird thing, and perhaps the, uh, the pervasive thing about anorexia was there wasn't... There isn't, like, any one... I don't think there's any one specific moment that it was, you know, more oh, sort of pertinent. But I think that was also the appeal for me as well, that it was just always there playing mm. in the background. And then once that's gone, it's like having tinnitus. You're like, ah, and it, it's very odd of like, you know, how do people, it just felt like because I'd stopped blocking that sound out, so much more had started flooding in. So, so once you begin sipping, I remember there was a moment when I kind of, these two, you know, my mind and this other mind conjuncted. It was a, it was an older person in his 50s, and he was only a year sober. He said, I remember being exactly you. And my whole life has been a, a fog, and he did horrible things to his family. And um, once I conjuncted with that mind, that really set me into motion did you have a moment like that or uh you know, t- that, that's a great quite because that, that sort of was but not with anyone else for me mm. i remember i used to have therapy uh 10 to 11 every thursday and i remember a sort of thursday late march when i stepped out of therapy and that was relevant because it was starting to become sort of sunny etc and it had been a really good session and i just remember having a really odd thought because i I actually don't really get very conscious thoughts like i don't think in words i think a lot of the time in emotions which i I didn't Mm. realize was like odd um but i remember actually having a conscious thought of oh this is what i remember i used to enjoy being me and that was such an odd moment to have to like almost feel like the star of your own sitcom again which was really it was such an odd feeling to be like oh this is the guy that i liked being rather than trying to be someone else or fit in the mold that other people are giving me and it was it was just a really odd moment and it's so hard to explain but i remember it so vividly and i remember it really kind of like knocked me aside and actually kept me going for like days it was it was such a weird thing to realize it was that that longing for for your old self that that's really beautiful um so once you do once you do realize once once you do stop denying which is incredible the amount of denial you can have about a, a situation then you begin the hard, the hard, dark, uh, heavy work of, of getting out of that hole. And that can take years. When, when you were, began doing that work, um, how did you stay positive? How did you keep motivated? Well, I, I think that is entirely it. Because I didn't engage with uh, therapy and all of that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because everybody talked about recovery as taking the anorexia away 
nobody mm. talked about giving anything back so of course i didn't want to engage in recovery because you're not talking about what i'm going to lose you're not talking about what i'm going to gain and if someone had said to me look you will get your sense of humor your sense of fun you will get your enjoyment better friendships better relationship better job prospect better memory better moods back then you'd be like yeah where do i sign up but the way that it was like yeah. framed was always kind of like it's something imposed on me and what I had to lose. So I think recovery necessarily should be fun. And something that I'm really passionate about is, yes, we always talk about mental illness. And I think that's a really important thing. But I always think about that how sad it is we always overlook good mental health as well so instead of just looking for warning signs for things being a bit rubbish and off think about what your signs are for good mental health what's the mentally well version of you and for mm. me that's when i'm mucking about that's when i'm being stupid for no one else's enjoyment other than myself and just being an idiot basically <laughs> and and that's why i think for me personally comedy is really important and really central but as soon as you start looking at what you've got to gain rather than what you've got to lose as soon as you start enjoying it then i think that is what's most important and specifically in the with the anorexia and the recovery the year that i started going through the therapy i treated it like the gap year that i'd never had so although i didn't go anywhere i did ridiculous things i went ridiculous places i tried stuff that i'd always wanted to and like look yeah i love it like it was a terrible disaster but because it was my gap year that was great that added to the story it was an adventure rather than a disaster so i think that is that mindset shift is really important to actually place you back in the driving seat rather mm. than actually you know putting you in a prison cell Man, that's such that's such a great attitude, such a great perspective. Um, I think what keeps people maybe falling back in old patterns is they never replace that with anything greater, right? And 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 for me, once I quit drinking, I had all this time to do the things I actually loved, yeah, and yeah. to find a whole new group of minds to be around who are who are healthy, and and your life does just improve and improve. But another important thing you said is. You're talking about giving now, right? It's instead of just always being obsessed with yourself and everything you're going through, you're talking, you you want to give things back, you want to help, you want to bring others up. So maybe that goes into the, the third question I was going to ask. How did you take all this heavy, you know, life experience and how did you craft that to help others? And, you know, what I really admire about comedians is they just flip it. They take the heaviest things and make it light. What, so. I mean, that happened accidentally. So I became obsessed with comedy when I was like actually starting to become more and more anorexic when I was at university. And the thing that I loved about comedy was that all of these people, uh, we and we got to see brilliant comics. It was like three quid every two weeks. And I, I'd never been to a comedy club before. And I went with increasing amounts of people. And for me, a comedy club is good mental health. You're getting together with other mm. people, big tick for mental health. You're having a laugh, big tick. 
for mental health it's something to look forward to big tip for mental health but exactly like you say you're making dark things quite light because i know very few if any comedians that joke about being their parents favorite child or being too successful with sexual partners or <laughs> being too bright or being too uh you know having too much money and i always used to love how comics didn't try and fit in they celebrated that they stood out and when i was going through therapy for the anorexia i was already writing a show about it and one of the things that really got me was how therapy and comedy are really simple because both of them are a lot to do with sieving with actually just taking really big complex ideas and chipping away at it in order to be like, but what are you saying? What is the problem? What is the issue with that? And you get down and down and down until you have this really hard kernel. And only when you really understand something can you like properly, properly start to joke about it. Mm. And it was really interesting to me how similar comedy and therapy were. So I've now started to work with brilliant academics at different universities. And there's a guy called Dr. Dieter de Klerk at the University of Kent, who's the co-director of the Health Humanities Department. And we've worked together to create a six-week comedy course specifically aimed at people with mental health problems to teach them stand-up comedy as a method of building their communication building that confidence and also that connection with other people to combat loneliness, build a like-minded group of people going through something very similar, but also to literally give people a platform for them to stand up for themselves. Um, because I think one of the things that both therapy and comedy does really well is reframing a situation and actually spin it on its head and see it in a different way mm. to me that sounds like a lot like you've you've gone through this this all these things maybe a lot of self-hatred and and they're incredibly personal and then you change the angle on it and then you get on a stage in front of everyone you know maybe you're not so social or, or confident and you talk about the most personal parts yeah. of your life and if you actually manage to face those fears and do that, it must be extremely liberating. A hundred percent. Because it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like hiding anymore. I tell you what, I did a gig, I actually did a gig, weirdly, last night that in a in a club that I love, a club that I feel very at home in. And they were completely they 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 were sold out and they always go over capacity. So you could, I was sort of standing backstage and you can hear the rumble of there's like 200 people in there and you could hear them all kind of like, you know, getting ready and having chats. And then the, uh, the, the showrunner, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Dave Chawner. And I kind of went on and I said, you know, hello, welcome to the UK's highest rated comedy club. And someone just from the back of the room went, this is shit, like, <laughs> like right at the start. And it really wrong-footed me. And oh, just kept on, everything that I said just kept on, like, uh, 
say there was something else I went, I, uh, we've got five fantastic acts for you, you know, they better be good and it was so weird however the reason for this whole story was I was emceeing so I was the compare the host the in-betweeny guy and I managed unfortunately more aggressively than I'd have liked to have like got it into check got everyone back on side we carried on with our lives now the reason I say this is because in the second section I did a little bit of a club set about my mental illness and about mental health and I felt so much more comfortable doing that than trying to shoot someone else down because mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is and I know this is horrible and I know this is wrong but it made me realize that like if you're trying to make people laugh if you're trying to tell a funny story about you know oh, well I saw this funny sign you're kind of using the humor there as almost something to hide behind and sometimes it it's not big enough to actually shield you whereas if you are being that honest and if you are making that genuine connection with other people if someone then shouts out that's on them that ain't on you <laughs> and and it really amazed me how much that actually i felt so much more comfortable talking about the mental illness because i was like i i am completely vulnerable now and if this guy attacks me everyone will see him for what he is of just a complete prick whereas <laughs> and, and it was it was so weird and and it's odd because it didn't it made me realize actually a lot of the time when you are more vulnerable with people you actually take away a lot of the pretense and of course there are going to be times when people attack. Of course, there are going to be times when people say things that perhaps you don't want to hear or don't want to be a part of. But but actually, 99 times out of 100, people kind of respect that connection. And and, and it goes a lot, it goes a lot, lot deeper as well. So yeah, it, it's odd. I do find like being genuinely balls to the wall honest in a weird way is a lot more liberating than like hiding behind humor. Wow. I mean, that's, that's very courageous. You know, I just put up a picture and I walk away. <laughs> but <laughs> so... You got to stand there with people screaming at you and, oh man, that's incredible. The weirdest thing, and I was thinking this when I was in the group, when it goes right, it's the most joyous and, and purest thing as well i mean one of the things i always say i've taught comedy courses before and i always say to people is that you will have a high afterwards but do yourself in the long run a favor once you've got off stage don't have a drink or don't have a smoke or don't have anything else for at least an hour and a half two hours afterwards because you don't want to set up that feedback loop in your mm. mind that that thing gives you that high. It's the other way round. And that's why I think comedy is so good for recovery because it is a, it's just a genuinely pure babyish thing as well. Like babies can laugh before they can talk. And I would actually say that humor is more universal than language because I could go to India or China and I could show them Mr. Bean and we could still laugh. Whereas <laughs> like, actually, you know, I don't know Urdu, I don't know uh, Cantonese. And, and so I think it's such a pure 
unadulterated thing. I think that when it goes well, it can be brilliant, but they equally by that. And I think I think that is true with painting, though. I think you really are putting yourself out there to to <laughs> be judged, I suppose. Oh yeah, I mean they they definitely judge. I've been written letters. Really? That that was when I showed my friends are like, you got to keep those. Those are like badges. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I've noticed um, with any type of performing arts, like music or poetry or comedy, you need to be vulnerable. You need to be talking from your perspective to be doing anything original. But I noticed that some of the troubles that people have is it's um, in the beginning, it's like a cathartic dump. Right. And and the way that they are expressing it is maybe um, I don't know a nice way to say it, kind of immature. Yeah. Um, how 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 do you manage that? It seems like it'd be incredibly hard to talk about your situation and, and not fall into those traps. You know what? Like there's an answer that I want to give and there's a truth. And <laughs> The, the answer that I want to give is that, look, it it takes time and it takes work and it takes effort. But you know what? Like, I'm trying to write a show at the moment and it's, it's really frustrating because I, I spoke to a really, um, a really famous comic that just got nominated for like one of the biggest comedy awards um, in, in sort of the, the Edinburgh Fringe like last year. Very good act. And I, I said this to him and he said, mate, that is, that is what everyone wants. There's a show that you want to write, but then there's also the show that you end up with because you need the jokes, you need the kind of, you know, punchlines, et cetera. The only thing is, and I would say, I, and I teach this in the course, that there is a difference between joking about something and joking around something. And if I was better at that, I would be a much better comic. And that's absolutely what I want to try and do. But what I mean by joking around and joking about is when you're joking about, the topic is the butt of the joke. So, for example, with anorexia, there's, you know, loads of jokes out there about anorexia of, you know, like, oh, I went to a, an all-you-can-eat with my anorexic friend and, you know, waste of money or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, just very... However there are methods of joking around of talking about how that actually manifests for you so the example that i always give is i was quite obsessed with exercising and you know when i was a teenager i was running upstairs and i was doing 50 push-ups 50 serves and my mom and dad didn't know what was going on and when i said to them you know later why did you not tell me you know, why did you not say anything when I was doing all that exercise? And my mom said, you know, well, when your teenage son keeps on running up to his room, all you can hear is rhythmical banging followed by repeated <laughs> grunting. You tend not to ask questions. And and that is still essentially quite childish. It is still essentially a wank joke. But I think the only way that I can square that circle is to sort of say that, like, it's actually talking about the behaviours rather than the topic itself. I'm under no illusions. I'm not the best comic in the world. And I think that is the ultimate struggle for, for anyone in any kind of creative pursuit of what you want to achieve and what you can achieve sometimes don't always match up. And, you know, that's okay. When you're writing these sets, 
I I haven't done comedy. You know, I don't know. I I have a friend who's a who's a sketch comedian, but I know stand up is very different from that. Um, when you when you're crafting these things, I've found when I try to craft an image, if I try to think it out, it's going to be absolutely terrible. But if I kind of think about what I want to do and I research and then I let it kind of farm it in the back of my mind for a while. Um, I'll get maybe an image later on when I'm taking a shower or on the train or something like that. When you're writing a set, is is there some creative process you go through? Yeah. So the, in the course, there are like different ways to unlock that creativity. But mm -hmm. one of the things that I definitely want to adapt in the comedy course, and one of the things I definitely want to adapt in, in my own kind of personal life, is actually kind of pretend, you know, getting rid of this pretense that there is a hard and fast way, A, to create comedy. Because look, look if there was a, an algorithm, you know that Google would have found it and exploited it by now. So I don't think it's A, that simple. Because I think B, and this is what I want to focus on more, is everybody's brain works differently. And I think that we don't talk about that enough in schools where I think it's, it's really good. I had one lesson and I still remember it to this day of when we were coming up to revision. It was only, well, it was only half, if, if that, of a lesson. So there's different types of learners. You've got your visual learner, you've got your auditory learner, you've got your kinesthetic learner, you've got your repetitive learner. So this is, you know, if you're a visual learner, you might want to sort of color code your, and, and, the thing that really got me about that was like, oh, yeah, brains can work in different ways in the same way that, you know, kidneys can work in different way. And that might lead you to be diabetic or, you know. So I actually think that part of the process that I really want to work on is actually getting to know your brain better. And I suppose I'm not at that stage yet. But I think one of the things I would say for that is unlocking your fun so if you are someone who likes to um just stick at something if you're someone that is just gets bedded in and just keeps going then there is a, a method of stream of consciousness where you just talk or write on a topic for five minutes leave it for a week or so edit stuff down and then you're sifting through what you've done if you're more of a perhaps visual learner, then you can create what are called joke webs, which are basically like spider diagrams, which break a big topic down into other smaller topics and finds connections with other things. So I'm trying to work on that because I don't think there is a hard and fast way to create comedy because every brain is is different and actually that's one of the things about mental health that what works for one person in recovery might not work for another yeah no group no teacher can give you the understanding that comes from personal experience mm -hmm. or integrity or um you know many of the important things but um it sounds like you're trying to be more of a guide right than uh to give a method yeah and, and you know what like part of that part of that comes I, I've always thought the people I, I I do communication training for doctors right and I never forget there's this one really senior consultant and I could tell like within 
10 minutes, he was the most senior consultant because when people were asking him questions, he was going, what do you think? Let's say a mate came up to you and asked X, Y, and Z. And it really showed me that actually a lot of the time, the people who ask the questions are the ones that have the knowledge, whereas the people who are trying to bat you over the head constantly with having hard and fast answers, which very rarely exist in life, are trying to hide from the fact that they're insecure. And that, that is certainly applies to me i'm trying to be a bit more truthful a bit authentic because the truth of the matter is no matter how you slice it i am not and will never be the best comedian in the world and i'm still very uncomfortable in my place within comedy even in the uk and in order to reconcile that but also in order to help other people is to be honest about that but then also to kind of say to others is like comedy is a lot like recovery and a lot like mental health you can show someone the door but i fundamentally believe no one ever chooses mental illness i absolutely believe that to my dying breath but i also think that unfortunately you choose to do something about it and you can try and support other people as much as you can in the world, but you can lead a horse to water, you cannot make it drink. And it's only you that will ever be able to look after your mental health. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, and, and I think when people want to change, they begin trying to find some type of shortcut, mm. some quick answer, and it ends up doubling the amount of time yeah. that um, to get to their recovery. Absolutely. And, and, but I, I honestly think there's this there's this psychological model of change called the trans theoretical model. So basically, it says that change from anything doesn't happen in one step. There's six steps. So there's pre contemplation, contemplation, action, maintenance. So the idea being, let's say you want to quit smoking. Firstly, you need to realize that you are addicted to smoking rather than a social smoker right and then you need to actually think about what your life would be like if you quit smoking and then you actually need to put those things into action and then you need to kind of maintain that but the reason i love the trans theoretical model so much is that the final stage is so human because the final stage is maintenance but also relapse and yes. relapse doesn't have to be huge it doesn't have to be disastrous but i i think it's part of the process and i always say to people that are struggling you are going to fuck up there might be a day where you know you do something that you will later regret you might have a binge you might take whatever you might eat have ingest whatever it is um, you know without going into too great details you might screw up, but you know, that's part of being human. That's part of the process. And as soon as you go into it, knowing that that could happen, and as long as you put in place things to learn from that, to try and prevent it happening again, that is a good thing. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is a learning experience. And I think a lot of people, especially with people with eating disorders or people who might feel a little bit perfectionist, think, I'm going to be the most recovered person in the world. And you're actually just setting yourself up to fail. You'll probably fuck up, but learn from it, improve and keep going. 
that was a big idea for me that really changed everything was um yeah you you have to plan on failure and the yep. more successful you plan on failing the easier it's going to be to get to recovery you, yeah that's, that's the day one mindset is oh i'm done now i've decided it's right. over but also you know i had a, i had a friend in recovery um he was 10 years sober and uh he relapsed he was so attached that time 10 years he ended up uh uh taking his life over that and wow. um just he had been 10 years sober and he had helped all these people it it blew my mind that that just that number was enough to to do that but yeah it it can be it, that's an important idea not just for beginners but for people that are very experienced in in years in recovery yeah i think the sad thing about that is even if it had been say a year in recovery yeah, yeah, that's one day that you screwed up, but it's 364 that you did brilliantly, that you went going. Yes. And it can be, and I say this as a resolutely pessimistic, dead-behind-the-eyes, stone-hearted person, it can be so easy to focus on the negatives. Yeah. But ultimately, that will only take you so far. If you can try and shift that and go, you know what, yeah, I did screw up today, but I have been brilliant this week. That That is when, you know, that's going to motivate you. And fundamentally, that's what it's all about, of keeping that momentum in the right direction. You should, you should be happy that you even had the thought to think about, you know, the problem or to show mm -hmm. up to therapy takes an enormous amount of courage or just to walk into an AA room or any type of group. That's That's a big event, you know. A lot of people... Don't even find the courage to make that first step, but then days of recovery and everything—it's—it's it's a really a miracle for anyone to be doing that. And I think it's such a shame that um, that just one little day, one little moment of lapse can can yeah overthrow all those positive things you did. And even as a person who does recover, you're now a symbol for for everyone around you of what is possible. Right. Whether you're yeah. aware of it or not, just just, you know, you doing that is a positive change in many people's lives. I do. But I also think as well with that, try and give yourself a break. You don't have yeah. to be the Mother Teresa. Of recovery, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? That's right. Like that's right. Yeah. I, I've seen that with eating disorders. There are certain people that um and it's a weird thing, man, because I think a lot of these negative things can become your identity label. And I see people talking so much about them being their recovered selves that as they are obviously relapsing, as they are so visibly ill, it, they're, they're kind of deceiving themselves because they've just taken that identity of I'm ill and turned it to I'm recovered, I'm perfect. And... and What's really hard is, again, it's these absolutes of, of, of like, actually, there's a big gray area in between. And if you mm -hmm. can live in the gray, you can nail it. You know, you are not going to go into recovery and it be rainbows and unicorns forever. And, and going into it with that of like, yeah, it might be tough. But you know what? You're going to get a lot more enjoyment out of certain things you never would have even considered before. 
equally there might be a couple of times when it's a little bit tough but it's it, it, it's not binary it's not a sitcom people are more three-dimensional than that uh, Dave, I've learned so much from you today. Um, I thought it'd be nice to take a moment to talk about everything you're doing. You're doing so many things. Um, well, one, you, you're talking about this class. Yeah. Uh, there's also your uh, your book, uh, Weight Expectations, all of your stand-up. Um, what what should people be looking for? Oh, well, that's, that's too kind. I mean, yeah, the, the weird thing is the book came out, and like doing a book... I, I never thought I was incredibly fortunate, incredibly lucky. The book came around by accident. So I never sort of set out to write a book. And then it just sort of sits there in the background. So, yeah, people can uh, go to that's called Weight Expectations. Um, and if anyone's interested in those comedy courses, then it's comedyforcoping.com. And there's a couple of like big things that are coming out at the moment. And we're all excited to, to work on that. But yeah, more than anything, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been really good. Thank you so much. It's It's been an honor to have you on. And I've, I've learned a lot from you today. I'm excited to see what you do in the future. You're doing very important work. Thank you, mate. And please stay in touch. I will. And thank you to everyone today who listened. And thank you to everyone who is supporting us on the Patreon. And I will add links to all of Dave's courses and books and stand-up in the descriptions. And remember to be critically creative. Love it.